Welcome to the Vulnerable Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Almeida. Each week, we'll share the inspiring story of someone who has faced their share of vulnerability and been able to find success and fulfillment. We hope all our stories will help you find the strength within yourself to live the life you want and find success of your own. It was anonymously said, maybe life isn't about avoiding the bruises, maybe it's about collecting the scars to prove we showed up for it. This is episode 17 of the Vulnerable Podcast with Wayne Harris. Facing vulnerability would come very early on in his life. At age three, his parents decided to divorce, and his father was no longer in the picture. Then, just nine years later, he would have to deal with the tragic loss of his mother, leaving him and his two siblings without parents and unsure of what the future would hold for them. Thankfully, due to some smart decisions from his mother, which included having a will and life insurance, they were able to avoid the foster care system. Throughout his life, he would continue to face challenges from struggling through university to joining the Army Reserves and trying to find his way through life. Growing up, affection wasn't something the family he had left felt was very important. Neither was talking about the grief he felt after experiencing so much loss. It'd be another few years before he'd meet his girlfriend, now his wife, and start to see some positive changes in his life. In 1989, he would meet his mentor and move to Ontario, which began to change his life completely. Oddly enough, all these years later, after having a few different careers, it seemed like life led him to an industry that would allow him to help people the way his mother helped him through making smart life and financial decisions. Now he's a financial advisor at World Financial Group, helping his clients make better choices financially and gain access to important things like life insurance. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get vulnerable with Wayne Harris. Hey, Wayne, thank you for coming on the Vulnerable Podcast. Uh, you know, you were a referral by our mutual friend, Chuck Seguin. Um, he said you had a, a, a good story to share, and I'm, I'm glad that you decided to come on here and share it. Uh, thanks for having me, Brian. It's good to see you again, and always a pleasure to see you and to collaborate in any way we can. Awesome, awesome. So the first question I'd like to ask every guest is, what is your definition of vulnerability? Vulnerability. Wow, this is about really setting your ego aside and being truly open with people in your circle of trust. Interesting. You know, and, and I say interesting because honestly, and, and I say this probably a few episodes, if you listen to them, you're going to hear it again and again, but no definition is the same. And that's the part that excites me the most about this is that every person has a different definition and, and that's sort of what I hope for, but it's just been crazy that it's actually happened. So, and I like your definition. I, I think it's true. I mean, I found that becoming more open in my own life and with the people closest to me has made the biggest difference in my life. So I definitely agree with, uh, with your definition there. So what, thinking back, what would you say would be your earliest memory of a struggle or a vulnerable situation that you faced? I've, I've faced a few. Um, the first one would be when I was in court with my parents at the age of three when they were separating. I remember being in the courtroom even at three, so I can remember that far back. Uh, that was pivotal because we were breaking up the only home I knew. That was a long time ago in the 60s and in the 70s, between grade six and grade seven, uh, 20 days before my 12th birthday, my mother died. Wow. And that was, you know, so we're leaving our father in 69. Now in 1978, she dies as the three of us, elder sister 
is 14, I'm 11, and my younger brother's eight, and we are in limbo. But, you know, unbeknownst to me at a minor at that time, she had two things that most people don't have today. And the first thing she had was she had a will. And if she didn't have a will, we would have gone into foster care, and that can be a different experience for different people. And there would be no guarantee that the three of us would have been in the same foster home or the quality of that foster home. The second thing she had in place is she had life insurance. And if she didn't have those two things, we would have been in abject poverty uh, coming out of that experience. So the fact that today I'm a financial advisor and I specialize in living wills, wills, estate planning, and insurance, um, I've kind of come full circle. So those are the first two things that kind of shaped me as a child. As a young adult, um, getting kicked out of university. So I got a BSc, I got a beer, sandwiches and chips from <laughs> Concordia University in Montreal, Quebec, where I spent 18 years of my life drinking beer and partying and not studying because I didn't know why I was there, but everyone had said you were smart enough and talented enough to get a university degree. So I went to get a university degree for the status and for the memory of my mother to not be one of those people who walked around talking about would have, could have, should have, but I ran out of gas trying to achieve a goal that wasn't mine, but in the memory and legacy for my mother. So I left university and joined the army, army reserves, and did that for three years and beat myself up physically and mentally. Um, and emotionally got broken down and built back up into a soldier in order to forget about flunking out of university and failing really for the first time in my life. And that prompted me to um, go to a Thanksgiving dinner in 1989 where I met a gentleman by the name of Andrew Yearwood who moved to Ontario in the 60s. He was from the same country my parents were from and he was very successful here in Ontario. And he said, well, what are you doing in Montreal? And I go, I'm in the army. He goes, that, that's, that's not going to fly. He goes, you should be in Ontario. And 12 months after that conversation, I moved to Ontario and he's been my mentor ever since. And life has been significantly different for me since I moved to Ontario. And there's a bunch of trials and tribulations since I got here. This is, this is year 29 in Ontario and it's been fantastic much more good than than bad but those are some of my early struggles in life where I had to you know the the quote I'll use every setback is a setup for a comeback and I had to do I had all three happen to me over and over but I'm okay with it because it helped shape who I am today you know, like what, what you mentioned there in terms of like, you know, with your mom having everything set up properly and then where you've come to in your career. I mean, that is, I don't know. I don't know about you. I'm a big believer in sort of, you know, how the universe works and, you know, the, what you put out there and all these sort of things. But like that is probably one of the craziest examples I've seen of somebody where it literally led them into a certain direction in life. And I mean, I don't know if it literally did, but I just feel like there's got to be some reason there. I don't think it just happened because it, it, I don't believe in coincidences, put it that way. I, I don't think they exist because I've just seen too many things even in the last few years of my life that 
you can't really explain. And that that's definitely one of them. I mean, but it's just interesting to see the sort of that full circle there. So, you know, in terms of those first couple that you mentioned, you know, the, the separation of your parents, the passing of your mother, what did you do to, to get through these, these situations or overcome them? Like, well, what things can you look back at to think of that, that helped you get through that? Yeah, the, the separation, I was really too young, so I had to follow the lead of my, of my mother and the family, and, and that was fine. Her passing was catastrophic, to say, to say the least, but what I found very interesting is that from 1978, when she passed, until 1985, when I met my girlfriend, now my wife, none of us got hugs from anybody, not our family, not our extended family, not friends, nothing. I mean, if I was in a basketball team and we won a game, yeah, we'd, we'd hug it out or whatever, chest bump or whatever you're doing. But there's, there's really a lack of empathy for mourning in my, in my community. It's almost like that happened to me, so we had to suck it up. So you suck it up. So don't worry about it. Just bury it and move on. There's work to be done. And that was kind of the mentality of my family and my mother's friends and people who said, you know, hey, if you need anything, let us know. And I haven't seen them since. It's been 41 <laughs> years. So I learned the value of words versus the value of action and the gap is hypocrisy. And that taught me that at a very young age. So I listen to what everybody says, but I watch what you do. Interesting. I mean, that's a, a big lesson to learn at such a young age. I mean, I've been hearing a lot about sort of that whole thing of uh, somebody's integrity can be told by exactly what you said, you know, what they say and then what their actions are. Um, I mean, myself, uh, just in in very small example, I've I've in in some ways struggled with that because of being in sales for so many years. Because <laughs> I feel like in sales, sometimes we say what people want to hear, not necessarily what we actually think. And so I know that that's something that you know, in in some ways, I've realized now that being honest is is a, is definitely a lot better. And I mean, there's that whole saying: there's no such thing as an honest salesman. And I can say I can kind of agree with it, but it's better to be be more honest and, and be, uh, you know, uh, a person of your word than it is to be the other way around. So, but that's again, a, an extremely big lesson to learn at such a young age. So what, what new strength aside from being able to sort of see that and, and learn what that can do for you, what new strength would you say you discovered in yourself from going through these experiences? I, great question. I, I think that I was seeking validation my entire life so i was a boy scout and i wasn't sorry i was a cub scout and i wasn't just a cub scout i was a sixer so there's seconders one bar sixer two bars super sixer three bars that's three bars i had badges everywhere i was like the man if i was going to be a cub scout i mean numero uno i was a michael jordan of cub scouts <laughs> then i became a boy scout and i tried to be the michael jordan of boy scouts then i became an army cadet i like uniforms i like structure I like taking orders. I like giving orders. I like giving orders better than taking orders. So I did the army, um, many uh, for army cadets, and then I finally went to reserve. Never wanted to go full time because I didn't want to be at the control of the government and being deployed in areas where I didn't want to go or the 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 raison d'être or the reasoning behind going into some place was political and economical. Had nothing to do with helping the people, so I didn't want to be that that level of 
commitment, which is why I was reserved. So I was one foot in, one foot out. You guys going to do anything stupid? I'm out. I don't have to be there to fight over oil in, in Iraq or Kuwait or whatever. So I think, I think, about, I think about the ability to, to think. So I, I took a bunch of courses in psychology and sociology and anthropology. And, and I took a course called Propaganda. Um, back in the 80s and this guy just said this is what this newspaper is and he talked to me about left and right and the views and I'm like oh now <laughs> so here I am reading the newspaper thinking everything in that Montreal Gazette is fact and truth and it's, if it's printed it's the word like the bible it's the word of God and then in my brain and said this is what they're trying to do and the mental manipulation uh, I could use a, a profanity mind blank, but I'm like, oh, so I said, okay, I'm going to learn how psychology works and what influences people influences me, you know, how I dress, what I wear of my life and, and activities are driven by approval addiction. Hmm. Yeah, and people are addicted to the approval of others. People won't do things. I will not dance in public because people may laugh at me. I will not. Uh, I will not work in the insurance or the advisor industry because people won't buy from me. And they won't like me. When I call them, they won't pick up the phone. So I don't want to be rejected. And the fear of rejection is so high in the minds of people as they live their lives under the microscope or, or, or perceived microscope of their, of their social networks. And now with social media, <laughs> it, it's on a level that depression is caused living your life comparatively to what you see out there. People living their best life or they're traveling the world, they got better bodies, they're cuter, they're taller, they're richer. And you look at your life and you're like, man, what am I doing? And you get depressed when all of that is, as a friend of mine said, it's all theater. It's all theater. Get your popcorn, get your drink and just sip your straw and eat your popcorn because it's all theater. Manufactured to make you feel a certain way about yourself. And then they use that to manipulate you into certain consumerist behaviors, keeping up with the Joneses. So it sounds to me like the, the, I guess the strength that it led you towards was the power of the mind, I guess, in a sense, if you're into psychology, taking psychology and everything like that. I mean, that that's one thing that sort of stood out in terms of what you were saying to me, at least. And, and it's something that even I've discovered over the last little while in terms of like, just how much your mind controls everything, like your body, like stress levels are too high. It can cause issues in your like IBS or something, uh, you know, it, it can cause issues with your sleep, you know, even just in terms of like your thoughts, uh, you know, I read a book called the art of happiness by the Dalai Lama. Mm -hmm. And it, he talks about how unwholesome thoughts, which are things like negativity, hatred, so on and so forth, can actually affect your cardiac health. And people that have more negative thoughts and more thoughts of hatred and anger end up having more cardiac issues than people that don't. And I was just, I was, I was blown away. I was like, this is crazy because, uh, you know, you don't think about it because you just sort of let your mind go. And, and like you're saying, you know, with everything that's going on in the world nowadays, 
it's hard to know what's real, what's not. And, and your mind just sort of absorbs it all. And you have to be very careful with that. All right. Think, think of your mind as a garden. And in that garden, everything grows. And whatever you focus on grows the most and grows the best. So weeds don't need a whole lot of care and feeding. They just grow. Mm-hmm. Negative thoughts don't need a lot of care and feeding. They just grow. They become the default for most people who are having challenges in life. They have an, a negative outlook on life, a negative perception, and they know their luck is always bad. I have luck. If I, have, if I didn't have bad luck, I'd have no luck at all because it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So what you believe shapes what you think, and what you think shapes the words you say, and the words you say shape the actions you take and the actions you take shape the habits you have and the habits you have shape your character so people look at people's character and don't go back and look at their belief system and the belief system of positive or negative good or bad rich or poor that's where it starts but people don't want to work on that because they want to work on the not the cause the reason someone is a stripper is because of their belief system, right? Big, a lot of things to make money. You want to be a stripper, God bless you. But what got you there? What got you to the point where you thought this is the best way, this is the best use of my gifts, my genetics. It's the best use of my gifts. Because some people are strippers and some people are beauty pageant contestants. Some people are strippers, some people are models. One, why not? Why one or the other? Well, it depends on what you believe. So hmm. your income never exceeds your identity. I'll say it again. Your income never exceeds your identity. And what you believe, who you believe you are, is the most important belief in, in, in your own life. So when I had a $4 an hour belief system, I made $4 an hour at McDonald's. That same Wayne, 10 years later, was making $50,000 a year because I had a $50,000 a year belief system. That same Wayne, 10 years later, paid $125,000 in income taxes on my income. Well, what does that Wayne, who paid $125,000 in income tax, have to do with a $4 an hour Wayne? The difference is my identity changed and my income grew to accommodate my identity. So when you have a million dollar identity, you make a million dollars. When you have a $100,000 mentality, you make $100,000. If you have a $25 an hour mentality, you make $25 an hour. Increase your identity, increase your income. Increase your belief system about positivity and gratitude, your life will get better. Focus on positivity and hang with positive people, you grow. So I have a mentor, a virtual mentor, I've seen him action but i haven't met him personally to shake his hand he said identity is like a thermostat and your thermostat is set by your belief systems so if you have a 75 degree thermostat and you hang around with people who have a 120 degree thermostat your thermostat will go up so when i was playing basketball i played basketball against people who were equal to me my game did not get better i played against people that i could dominate my game didn't get better when I played against people who were better than me, my game got better. I didn't get as good as them, but I could hold my own. They weren't embarrassing me. 
So my thermostat went from 75 to 100. They were at 120. I didn't get to 120 because I'm not hanging with them all the time. I go back to my old friends where I'm comfortable <laughs> and hang with my 75, 80, 70 folks. They're the ones that come to the cookouts. They come to the barbecues. They're the ones you have drinks with and you talk the same level of stuff. But then there's people that you have to, hold on, I got to dress to talk to this guy. I got to vacuum the house because this guy's coming over. And when that guy comes over or a gal comes over and drop bombs of knowledge on you, you're like, whoa, man, I feel so much better being in that person's presence and with their mindset. And if I could just get a little bit more of that and you can, is what we're doing right now, yeah. right? I'm looking at your mindset. You're looking at mine. I have an identity. You have an identity. We see where the gaps are and we grow and we get better. So they talk about the five people in your inner circle will define you. Yes and no. Um, if you look at most people, uh, their incomes are $10,000 plus or minus their five best friends. Think about it for a second. And then something happens. You get a job, you, you get a gig and you like me, another turning point on the positive 1997. I meet Robert Hirschvac before Dragon's Den, before Shark Tank, but he had a mindset and he saw something I didn't see in myself. And he pulled me out of my 50K job and dropped me into another 50K job where I can make $100,000. And my self-image was a 50K self-image. I had three jobs to make 50K when I met Robert. And in one year, I went from 50K to six figures and have never been back. What hmm. did Robert see that I didn't see? And why did I accept it? That's what is game changing for me in my career. And when Ontario became a lot of fun because Ontario without money is okay, but Ontario with money, it's a lot more fun. Yeah. I feel like that's sort of the same. I don't know if you've been to the West Coast, but I feel like BC is the same sort of thing. <laughs> Just like yeah. an Ontario on steroids. I went out there for like four days and I was like, I love it here but I don't know if I could afford it for a very long time, at least at this point in my life. <laughs> but but I, I, I get what you're saying there. And what I think, uh, the thing that stands out the most there, and I hope that people when they're listening to it will go back and, and write a certain part of what you said there down, because there was that equation basically that you had where you went from your beliefs to your character and everything in between there it just was it sounded key to me. It was just important. I mean, but it's amazing like to hear that. I've never heard it put that way. And then also to think about it as your belief system is end up being your character. Like I've never, never really thought about it that way. And it, it makes a lot of sense considering what I've learned over the last few months and, and where I'm going in my life right now. But I never even would have thought about that prior to uh, prior to the last few months or prior to you saying it. So um, that that's definitely a key lesson there and, and something that I hope people will pick up from this among other things, obviously. Well, think so, about this for a second. Think about a lottery winner. A lottery winner could be working at a Max Milk, if they still have those around, <laughs> right? So you're working at Max Milk, man. You go over to your shopper's drug mart or in Max Milk, you buy your scratch and sniff ticket and you win a million bucks. Well, you had a, at the time, Max Milk was around about seven bucks. So you have a $7 an hour identity. You win a million dollars. What does a $7 minimum wage identity do with a million dollars? Do you think they do what a millionaire would do with a million dollars? Or they do what a hood hero 
with, with that money. Yeah. And they take that money and they go buy cars and they buy gold chains and they buy running shoes and they go on vacation. And they, they're not going, they're not going someplace where they're going to learn something. They're going to DR to party. Yeah. They're going to Cuba and they're going to, they're going to South beach, Miami, and they're popping bottles. And within five years of winning that money, they're right back to where their identity needs to be. And it's at seven dollars an hour and they're passing a broom and a max milk and they remember when they were a millionaire yeah self-image could not handle it so they have to self-sabotage themselves back down to where they're comfortable and i used to do that and i couldn't understand why i said why 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 when i get a, a, a gig that pays me more than i think i'm worthy of do i hate the boss hate the job don't like the, the commute blah 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 self-sabotage and i'm gone in a year i hate that place when I'm underpaid and I'm working someplace, I think I'm worth more. Buddy, I'm taking, I'm taking, I'm taking markers. I'm taking a race. I'm taking, I'm stealing. I'm taking paper clips. I'm taking everything to get equity to where I think I should be. So when I'm underpaid, I'm stealing myself up to where I want to be. When I'm overpaid, I'm self-sabotaging myself back down to where I'm comfortable. Identity is the key personal success huh. and identity management no that like i said it's, it's funny because for whatever reason what came to mind when you were talking about that there's this meme and maybe you haven't seen it online but it's jay-z and it shows jay-z when he was making a hundred thousand dollars and he's got all these gold chains and this fancy watch and all this stuff and then it's like jay-z is a billionaire and he's got like a plain black shirt and that's it and it's like it, it sort of speaks to what you're saying is like you know when you're when you're starting out and you have that that one mindset how much it can change, you know, as you get more successful and you, you obviously work on your identity for sure. So this next question is one that a lot of people, uh, I find it, I don't know if I have to change it or what, but it's one that it seems that people have a harder time answering because I guess it's all dependent on how you define vulnerability and struggle and everything in your life. But would you say, and I mean, you've given quite a few stories, but would you say that you faced a lot of vulnerability in your life, a little, a moderate amount, like how would you sort of define it? My question to you is compared to whom? Yeah, see, and see, and you're the first person to come with that. So <laughs> I guess in your own life, I guess, I mean, in, in terms of how you feel about or what you've had to go through in life to get to where you're at right now, you know, would you say that you feel like you've faced quite a bit and or would you say not too much or? Yeah, you know, that's, that's a tough question to answer because I need I need a benchmark. Yeah. Am I being compared to somebody who's in Yemen? today being bombed by the Saudis with American technology and they're starving. I'm doing okay. Yeah. Am I being compared to somebody who lives in Forest Hill who had to take the domestic vehicle to mm -hmm. Upper Canada College versus the Porsche because the Porsche was in the shop? I don't know. So yeah. where 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 is the line that we're we're talking about? My life is uh like everyone's life is a series of experiences and the experiences are 10% of what, uh, what's going on. And my response to that experience is 90% of the, of, of, of the equation. So I attach my value system to what happened to me and my interpretation of what happened to me and what I do from that point on is what dictates where I go so 
I've been fired a few times. When I get fired, why did I get fired? Well, did I want to get fired? Did I, did I, did I, it's like survivor. Did I see the blind side coming? Did I know they're going to put my name down on the parchment and, and vote me up down and snuff my torch? When I get fired, I go, I saw that coming. Cool. I didn't see that coming. Really? Wow. What the, what was I thinking about that I could not see this happening, right? So I like the ability to know what this, the universe is putting out there and then my response to it. So I've been vulnerable. I've had experiences. My interpretation of those experiences sometimes have been good, sometimes not so good. I have mentorship that comes in. So before sometimes, if I have... If I have to make it real time, I'm going to make it real time based on my value system. And my value system have evolved over time as I accept my growth and accept who I am, not through the eyes of not even my siblings and my father. I accept myself through my own lens, not even through my wife's lens, it's through my lens. Because when I'm brushing my teeth in the morning and I'm shaving this beautiful bald head, I need to be comfortable with the guy who's looking back at me in the mirror. And a lot of people aren't. And when they aren't, you start seeing them doing compensating things to alleviate themselves from the reality. So people are going to smoke weed because they're not happy with reality. I want to get high. So if I get high, I can forget about the reality. Well, I've never gotten high uh, without medically being induced for surgery or something like that. Mm -hmm. So they, they put me under and giving me morphine and whatnot for certain things that happened to me um, as an adult. But escapism rather than dealing with it ism, I'm about dealing with it ism. I want to understand better what makes me tick, what my triggers are, why I'm, I'm salty with some people and why I'm super uh, extroverted with other people and super quiet with others, just understanding, you know, emotional intelligence. So I'm vulnerable. Life has happened not to me. Life has happened for me. Life has not happened to me. Life has happened for me and has shaped me to who I am today. And here's what I know is going to happen after I get off this call with you. Life is going to happen. Yeah. When life happens, I'm going to interpret what happened and I'm going to make a call as to whether it's going to pull me down or push me up or keep me the same. And I look forward to it because every life, every day, there's a lesson. And your reward, if you grow, is another lesson at a higher level. And your reward, if you grow, is another lesson at a higher level. But some people do this their whole life. They're 20, they're 30. They're 40 and they're not growing. And you say, what's wrong with that guy? Well, he's just not growing. Well, he's not doing or she's not doing anything to grow. They interpret thing as personal. It's your ego. I'm not going to read that book. I'm not going to take that course. I'm not going to listen to that mentor. I'm not going to get a coach. I'm not going to do anything. Life sucks. Stephen Harper helped me. Andrew Shearer helped me. Justin Trudeau helped me. No, no, no. Politicians aren't going to help you. You help yourself. <laughs> you help yourself. Stephen, uh, um, Justin Trudeau has put us in an environment that we're in. People are still winning. Every time I drive my car and I drive past a car that's better than mine, that person's winning and they're not waiting on Trudeau to help them. If Andrew Shearer wins, fantastic. It's still going to be Rolls Royces going up and down the street. <laughs> and that person doesn't care if Andrew Shearer's in power or not. They're going to get theirs. Yeah. So 
empower yourself. I'm vulnerable. And what it does, it allows me to be self-aware and self-reflective and self-deprecating sometimes. Hey, I'm not Denzel Washington. I got a nice little belly here going on. You know, I'm doing my thing. <laughs> no, but here's what I do know. I love me and my wife loves me and I help create that situation. My children love me and I love them. And, and, and I created that situation with the help of mentorship and the help of my community and help of my family. But everything I have, I have because I made decisions and everything I don't have is because I made decisions. So I don't blame my skin color I don't blame the island of Saga. I don't blame the Ontario government. I don't blame when it's cloudy, I'm sad, and when it's sunny, I'm happy. I blame me for my decisions and my interpretations based on my beliefs, my thoughts, my words, my actions, my habits, and my character. So for uh, two things, one, you know, you're the first person to challenge me on that question. And I appreciate it because it's actually given me some more thought in terms of how I will pose that question in the future, because it's true. It really does make a difference in terms of how you would compare it to or what you're comparing it to. I mean, I guess for me, the reason that I'm bringing it up is because, uh, you know, as I said, I think before we started recording or maybe at the beginning of this episode, the whole point of this is to give to everybody who listens, who's in a different situation, you know, wh whether it's, you know, again, a, a mental health issue, whether it's a physical disability, whatever it might be, to give them some perspective on, you know, somebody else's vulnerability and how they overcame it. But I guess without comparing it to each and every single person who's been on the podcast, it's hard to, to sort of do that. But, uh, but again, you know, I appreciate the challenge there, because it, again, it's getting me to think. And the one thing that I find really interesting about doing this is that I'm learning, I think, just as much, if not more than my listeners, because I'm getting all these different perspectives from people and different ways of looking at things. The second thing, which I mean, I haven't really brought this up and my first episode was my story and talking about my vulnerabilities. And you mentioned something in there and that I kind of want to bring up right now, because I think it's important. And and it definitely stood out for me as you talked about drugs and you talked about, you know, smoking marijuana mainly. And that's something that I did. I indulged in and I won't be, you know, shy about it. But what really stood out to me is what you said after that in terms of, you know, people do that to, to hide or to, to sort of keep themselves from feeling certain things. And I will tell you, it's been about three months or so that I haven't touched it. And I can 100% agree with you on that, is that it was something that I was doing. And I'm sure, you know, for some people it might not be drugs, some people might be alcohol, but there's things that we do to sort of, hide ourselves from feeling those certain emotions or, or having to face them. And that was 1000%, I believe what I was doing up until three, four months ago when I, when I cut it out of my life and, and it's made a, a big difference. And I just sort of, you know, again, it brought it up. So I wanted to put it out there because I think it's true. Like you have to be careful, not only your thoughts, but the things that you're doing that might be holding you back or might be making you not get to that next level or as you were saying where you're not growing or you're not learning because of things that you're doing necessarily or, or the people you're surrounding yourself with so you know again that's just me sharing a little bit more about myself and and it just because you brought it up and it's really stood out to me and I think it's an important thing for you know maybe people listening to realize like are you doing this because you know it's like a social thing like drinking where you know you're having a scotch with friends or a couple beers are you doing it every night because you're miserable with the way your life is going and the only thing you can do is drink more to block it out? So 
key point there and, and something that really hit home with me. So yeah. you, you, you talked about, sorry, I don't know. Did you have something to add or? No, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, what people do to unwind and relax is different for different people from different cultures. You know, my father went to the gym Monday, Wednesday, Friday, from four to seven, all during elementary school for myself, my, my brother and sister, and all during high school. If he didn't do that, he would come home and he would have taken us out because, again, mental health services at that time, when it's just a suck it up buttercup, you know, mentality, he could, he, he could not talk to anyone about anything he was feeling for fear of showing vulnerability, which is seen as weakness in our community. He could not tell the people at the church because they would gossip about his business. He couldn't tell the people at work because they would weaponize it against him. So he couldn't tell his children because he's supposed to be strong. So who can you tell? Nobody. So that's how people get high blood pressure, they get heart attacks, they get stress and panic attacks because they cannot resolve what is going on in, the, in their emotionally and, and, and mentally. And, and my father comes from a generation, he's 86 years old now. He won't talk to anybody. Listen, his, his leg could be chopped off and he'd be like, listen, just get me a little bit of, of uh, alcohol and a couple of cloths. Dad, your leg's cut off. Yeah, yeah, you know, just get, <laughs> yeah, give me a couple of towels and a, a little alcohol and, and a beer, I'm good. No, no. This is not about being a, being a tough guy. It's about having tools and strategies on managing yourself so you can manage your life. And associating with people, there's energy vampires and there are energy givers. And after you leave an interaction with someone, if you're drained, they're an energy vampire. And if you're like, whoa, I can't wait to go and do something, they're an energy giver. Every person I come in contact with, I go and I wait. And they usually show themselves as a giver or a taker of energy. If they're a taker of energy, I must, must, in self-preservation, dismiss them from my life. I can't fix everybody. I'm trying to fix myself. Right? I don't have time. You're, you're many years younger than I am. I don't have time. I'm looking for people who are going to be benign or positive. And I choose on any given day of my life to associate with people who are benign and positive. Anybody who's negative, hey, that's your prerogative, but you don't have to do that around me. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Think about this for a second. What's your ethnic background? Me, I'm half Portuguese, half Canadian. Right. Portuguese, think about that for a second. You and I, a half Portuguese and a Barbadian, right? Go back a hundred years, not a thousand, a hundred. This couldn't happen. Yeah. Portuguese, Portuguese are the largest slave traders on the planet. One of the most, I mean, the more history I read, I don't get upset because it was it was what it, it was what it was, but the fact that a hundred years later in Canada you and I are collaborating lets me know that things are moving forward. No, hundred uh, percent. 
this is uh i i, I mean this this episode is definitely uh it's it's opening my mind quite a bit more i mean and and every episode has but this is definitely a different one um and in a good way don't get me wrong i'm not saying that in a bad way it's just i've never really thought about a lot of the things that you're talking about or in the way that you're talking about them specifically so the the, the next thing i was going to ask was you know you you talked about the the you know your life is 10 percent um what happens or 10 about the experience and 90 percent what you do with it so the next question that i usually ask is something in the terms of like everything that you've been through how did it help you get to where you are? I think you've sort of answered it already, but if you could put it into like that, you know, if, if all those experiences were 10%, you know, what's the 90% you've done to, to use that to get you to where you are? Great question. So in, in March of 2006, I was making more money. So I wanted to get more insurance. I believe in having 10 times your gross base salary as the amount of insurance you should have. I've learned some things about the calculations today that I can get that number to be even more precise. But in 2006, having read The Wealthy Barber, he said 10 times your gross. So I went to get 10 times my gross because my gross went up, because my identity went up, <laughs> right? So I go to get this life insurance. They say, hey, Mr. Harris, you need to get a um, paramedical blood, urine, and all that. I said, strong like bull. <laughs> no problem. Come get the blood. She came, got the blood in March. Two weeks later, she calls me and said, you need to call your doctor. I call my doctor. He never picks up. He picks up. He goes, hi, Wayne. Can you come in now? I go, come in now. You can't get an appointment for this guy for six months. I go in. He says, have a seat. I said, no, I'll stand. And he says, well, I'm just going to tell you, you have cancer. Jeez. I'm 39 years old. My, I'm single breadwinner. Life is good. I just bought my new house, 2006. I was a stay-at-home mom. I got two kids, a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. And now I hear this news. So now this is put up. This is, are you what you preach? All those positive things you say, all those books you read, all the seminars you went to, all the coaching and mentoring you had, what are you going to do? Are you going to shrink or are you going to expand? It's a moment of truth. A compelling event has happened. And is my mindset all BS or am I truly the guy that I say I am? And I'll be happy to report <laughs> that I went through six months of urologists and treatments and whatnot and 13 years later, knock on wood, I'm still here. You know why I'm still here? Because I decided I wanted to be here. You know why? Because my mother died when I was 11 years old and I wasn't doing that to my two kids at eight and six. That's my, my interpretation of what happened to me at 11. I wasn't going to leave my wife a single mom with two children with money, just like my mother left a, a few dollars. I was going to leave a few more dollars, but no, hell no, I'm not going out like that. So every practitioner that was put in front of me, I grilled and used the internet and used everything I had to keep them honest. And I managed my health through the system because most people don't get the treatment I got because I knew what to ask for. I knew who to ask for. And I called in favors from everybody I knew. I said, now's the time I've done, I've helped a hundred people get jobs. 
now you doctor that I know in another province, tell me what this guy should be doing. These are the 10, thank you. Call another doctor in Calgary. This is what I heard, do you agree? Yes. So when I met my doctor, I was armed and dangerous. He couldn't stop me from getting what I needed. And I got the best care. Shout out to Sunny Brook, shout out um, for taking care of me and Dr. Lawrence Klotz, who is the baddest man in the business because here I am 13 years later with zero symptoms other than the scar that I have from the surgery. Everything else is 100%. Now, if I can just stop eating doubles and roti and bacon, these sort of things, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be back in shape. Uh-huh. I can tell you, when I was put to the test of mental struggle based on the physical manifestation of something that was trying to take me out, I decided with every molecule in my body that that wasn't happening. Mind over body mind over body. I, I, I put my mind and everything in my body to, to focus on one thing only. Get rid of cancer and have me come out the other side. Everybody knew the mission. There was zero incongruence. My eyes knew, my eyebrows knew, my nose knew, everything in my body knew. We're here for one purpose and one purpose only. Save Wayne so I can be a father and hopefully one day a grandfather and be uh, the person was going to picture of me on the wall of my great grandchildren, and they're going to be kissing it. They're going to say, "Why is in that picture? Who's that guy?" So he's the guy who changed the game for our family. Because I'm not from a rich family, but from me going forward, it's a done deal. <laughs> so two things: one, doubles are amazing, so I can understand <laughs> your your hard time getting away from them. <laughs> Trinity wife, baby, Trinity wife. <laughs> <laughs> Two, um, you know, one thing that stood out the way you said there that my father used to say to me, and I mean, say my father, you know, grew up in the Azores, you know, and probably I think it was, I want to say 60s, 70s, definitely didn't grow up with money or anything, definitely in poverty. And, you know, I, I don't want to compare stories or anything like that. But what the point that I'm trying to get to is one thing he said to me growing up, and, I, and I've said it before to other people, and you just said it there is mind over matter. And, you know, as a kid, you know, I sort of got it, but it was more like mind over matter for my dad was like, you know, you're, you're, you're feeling sick. You're only as sick as you're going to let yourself feel like, you know, if you're going to say, oh, I'm not going to work today because my stomach's upset. It's mind over matter. Like, you know, you can get over that. Like, it's nothing that big. I mean, your situation was a lot more extreme, but I, it just sort of brought that back up to mind. And, and, and it's just funny how, you know, there's been times in my life where I felt like I'm at my lowest point and, if I hadn't maybe thought about those lessons that he had given to me, you know, without, again, it's not being somebody who's, you know, read a lot of books or, or has a big, uh, you know, education or anything like that. He still understood that. And whether that's just because, you know, that older generation is from a time of, you know, they didn't have all the things that we have now and all the healthcare and this, that and everything else. And they just sort of had to figure it out. You know, they have all these remedies <laughs> that they use. But I always remember my dad saying to me when I was younger, you know, it's all everything in life is mind over matter. And that just sort of brought it back to me. So at this point in your life, would you say that you found success and fulfillment in your life or that you're still on your journey towards it? Yeah, so I, like everyone, consider myself a work in progress. And I am, you're either ripening or rotting. There is no standing still. So I'm ripening. 
because I'm a little bit older than most, I am moving at a clip that's faster with a sense of urgency today that most people don't have because they believe they have time. They're in their 30s, they're in their 20s, they're chilling. <laughs> no, I'm not in my 30s. I'm not in my 40s. Now I got to go. But because I've got some skills, I'm not, let's just say this. If life were like karate and you had belts from white belt to black belt to multiple degrees of black, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm at least a, a second degree black belt now. So now when you put a white belt in front of me, I said, listen, I don't want to hurt you. <laughs> All right. But if you want to learn, I'm going to show you a couple of things at yellow belt level. Why? Because I've been a yellow belt. So I, I take advice from people who are in life where I want to be. I don't listen to divorced people about relationships. <laughs> eh? Yeah. Yeah. I don't listen to fat people about how to get in shape. Yeah. 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 I don't, when the guys at the bus stop, I don't want them commenting on my vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I get it. Once I started doing that, <laughs> life is easy, bro. Yeah. Life is easy. Come on, man. It's called modeling. It's called duplication. It's NLP. It's whatever you want to call it. But the bottom line is this. If one man took a thousand dollars and turned it into ten thousand, and he shows me how to do it, guess what? I'm black, but guess what? It doesn't matter because the money says if I do what he did, I make the money, and yeah. that's what I did. So I make the money. The rules and the principles do not care about culture. They don't care about gender. They don't care about melanin or lack thereof. The principles of success are the same for everyone application and execution and speed between learning the gap between learning it and doing it the slower the smaller the gap the, the faster you go so my my superpower is learning it and doing it i'm not learning it and hmm, i'm gonna take uh, i'm gonna take a 30 days and ponder you know whether i should do that no the gap between learning and applying that's what most people need to focus on. That's where there's noise from your mother saying, you know, why don't you go get a job from your, you know, and, 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 and they don't mean it to disparage you. They mean it because from their perspective, from their generation, what you're doing is a hobby because it's not generating money today. But they don't know what this is going to generate down the road. When, people, when, you, when you're on stage sitting beside Oprah or whoever is going to be the big person at that time, and they go find this on YouTube 10 years from now, 20 years from now, your children and grandchildren look and say, what, Grandpa, well, your beard wasn't gray. It's, 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 it's brown. And who's that well-dressed brother talking? <laughs> right? So, man, that was Wayne. Man, that was October. I think 2019, we did that. Look at us, man. So raw. You know, the mic was this, the, the background was that. Yeah. Listen, bro, you got to get it done. And it's like going to the bathroom. If it's going to be up to you, you have to do it yourself. But that doesn't mean you can't get help and support, which is where a lot of people need to show vulnerability. I don't know at all. The gaps that are hurting me, I have people in my circle who are transparent and 
authentic enough to say, hey, here's a blind spot, brother. You know, you said that thing to that guy in that way, and you, maybe you shouldn't do that. And I'm like, my bad. Adjust. Next time I'm in that situation, I go, oh, I remember. Say it this way. Don't criticize, condemn, or complain. Napoleon Hill. PR. You want to, you want to, um, you want to um, be, you want is praise and recognition. So what, what's, what's the E now? I can't remember the E, but it's praise and recognition in public. And you want to give any criticism in a positive way in private, but you want to expound positive praise and recognition to people. And I know they'll jump a burning building for you. If you, if you feed that need in them to be their best selves and that's called influence and that's what leadership is influence and i consider myself to be a leader in training and i want my children to be leaders and in order to be a leader you have to be a strong follower so that you can be mentored by the leader and then you can take the reins or find someplace else to lead but that's what Canada needs. Canada needs more leaders in the development of leadership, which will develop entrepreneurship, which will develop employment, which will save the economy. And we have to worry about government programs because we're taking care of it ourselves. So I don't care who's in power. I'm going to have a nice ride in a nice house because I'm adding value. No. I, so a couple of things there again, and I don't know why the two things keep coming to mind every time you talk, but that's just the way it's going. But the first one was you mentioned the age thing, something I've been doing a lot recently, and, and I've mentioned it in past episodes is the contemplation of death. And as dark as that sounds, I think what it brings to mind is that it doesn't matter whether you're 30, whether you're 40, whether you're 50, 60, 20, none of that really matters because you don't know how many days you have left. I could be here today and gone tomorrow. And that's put a lot of things into perspective for me in terms of what I need to do in my life and where I want it to go. Because again, it, it, it's unknown. It's, it, you, yeah, you, you might be older and that might mean you have less time, but not necessarily, you know, because like I said, it could be another year for me. It could be another two. It could be another 30 or 40 or 50, but I don't know. Right. And, and keeping that in the back of my mind has been something that's really helped me move forward in the last little while. The second thing was, when you brought up the whole thing of like, you know, your parents saying, you know, get a job and all that kind of stuff. It's funny because so when I lost my job a couple of years ago, that was sort of the mindset of everybody was like, okay, what are you going to do next? What's your next career? What's your next job? And I went on unemployment and I started chasing my dreams and everybody was like, uh, again, you know, like what's this whole dream chasing thing. And even when I started my business, it was like, you know, when's your business going to make money? Well, if anybody knows anything about startups, your first like five years of a startup don't usually make a whole lot of money, if any at all. Right. But the, the whole thing was, again, you know, how are you going to make money and so on and so forth. But it, what's really funny or, or what's really interesting, I guess I should say, is that since starting this podcast, my mom's actually listened to a few of the episodes and she's called me and she's been like, Oh, you know, like I listened to this episode and it was, this was really interesting. Or on last weekend we were out for my parents' 35th anniversary. We, we took them out to brunch with my brothers and their wives. And my mom was like ranting and raving about my podcast. And I was like, this is really interesting because, you know, before she probably would have said exactly what you said, which is, you know, like it's a hobby, like it looks like fun. But now I'm starting to see the shift in terms of just the way she's looking at the things that I'm doing and, and it's, I, I found that really interesting because, you know, like you're saying, it might be another 10 years before this becomes like a huge thing or be, before I become a huge thing, whatever, who knows, right? 
could be another two years. Nobody knows. But what's interesting to me is to see the shift in people when you start to shift. And I think that's something you've sort of touched on throughout this podcast is like, you know, if you're changing who you are, at first people are probably going to be like, I don't know if I like this new person. But after a while, if they realize that you're going in, a, in, in the right direction towards a good place, towards a more positive place, you're hopefully going to have that same effect on them. And so that, it's just been a really interesting experience because, like I say, you know, I totally think that that's sort of what would have been said before the last few months or whatever year of my life or two years of my life would have been, you know, like, this is a great hobby, Brian, but go get a job. <laughs> but what I'm seeing instead is, wow, this is really interesting. This is really cool what you're doing. My aunt just on, on Facebook when I promoted one of the episodes, you know, she put a comment that said it's really, uh, it's really nice to see you open up like this and and so on and so forth. And it was just, you know, it was kind of, it, it was just, it felt good to be honest. And, and it's just interesting to see that is that when your, you know, success and fulfillment can be defined in many different ways by different people, but as long as you know where you're going and where you're headed, I think that's what's most important. And self belief is key. I mean like you talked about the you're having your values and those are all that matters and I can't I couldn't agree more again because what I've said to people you know especially in the last couple of years as I've met people and they're thinking about doing things and they, they have all that negative self-talk and I said you know you're worried too much about what other people think or what they're going to feel or how they're going to judge you at the end of the day the only person that has to believe in you is you and then everybody else will come along as time goes on and as you start proving yourself and people start to notice, then they're going to sort of latch on to you. But if you don't believe in yourself, it's not going to matter what people say, how they judge you or, or what sort of effect they have on your life. Because without self-belief, you really, you really don't have any ground to stand on or a good foundation. So, so again, you know, this has been, like I said, <laughs> this has been a really, really impactful and powerful episode in, in my opinion. And obviously I'm going to be biased, but you know, we'll see what the listeners think too. So I'm down to the last couple of questions. Uh, this last one. Before you, before you ask me yeah, this, yeah. Question, I want to give you a comment. I want to let you know this. Since the beginning of man, death is undefeated. Yeah. It's however many billion and all. Yeah. Undefeated. Your job is to burn out and not rust out. At the end of this day, if I don't make it home tonight, my wife and my kids know that I was in the hunt doing what I love to do, help people and help myself as a positive side effect of adding that value to other people. And you're doing the same thing. When your mother and your aunt figured out that they weren't going to sway you one way or the other, you're going to do what you wanted to do for your life. They had to get on board or get, or get away. Yeah. Right? And they got on board. Here's the key. There are people that, that are supporting you in the background that give you the, the ability to chase your dreams. So every day you have to remember who those people are and pay homage to them in some way or form to let them know, hey, I understand if I'm here at 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock doing this, I am able to do this because you did what you're doing to put me in position to do that. And my wife is that person. I left a six figure career to go to zero, to come back to six figures because she allowed me to do that. If she didn't believe she said, get back out there and get another IT sales job selling some widget that you know nobody wants and it's going to be commoditized and go to RFP and, you know, and do all this stuff. And I'm like, ugh. Yeah. 
another year of that. I don't care how much the money is. I can't do it. Yeah. I, I, I believe, I believe you have to believe. And I believe that belief matters. And I believe that your beliefs are shaped on who you are ethnically, where you grew up, what your parents put in your head, and your friends. And as your circle evolves, and as the books you read, and as the YouTubes you watch, and the podcasts, you start changing the narrative. And as the narrative moves in the direction that you want to move, you start believing more. And then when it starts building, this magical word momentum it can't be stopped so you're building momentum i'm building momentum and when you have momentum things are easier and they come faster so get ready yeah no i i couldn't agree more and and i mean and and, and even when i spoke about like my mom there and stuff like that and other people like i, I i'm not going to say that i didn't have the same self-doubt either and that's why i talked about self-belief is because even, you know, with them saying that there was still times where I was wondering, like, hey, am I doing the right thing? Should I just even in the last, I would say six months, there's been a couple of times where I'm like, should I just go back to sales? Should I just go back to a career? But there's something in me that like you're saying, momentum, whatever way I want to look at it, there's something in me that tells me, no, I got to keep going. I can't give up now. I'm too close. And if I just keep pushing a little bit more, I'm going to get it one way or another, whether it's through my business, whether it's through this podcast, whether it's some other venture that I haven't even started yet. I know that something's going to lead me to where I'm supposed to be because there's no way I would have kept pushing if there, if there wasn't. And also uh, your shout out to your wife there. Same, same here, man. The support of my wife has been everything for me. I mean, she's, and then I'm not just talking about in the last couple of years, I'm talking about from like day one, starting to date her. She was one of the most and still is one of the most incredible people I've ever met past relationships before her. They were, you know, dates. I would look at it. <laughs> they weren't actual relationships. There was an actual love there because she, from day one, even though when I met her, I was working at a factory, I was making like 11 bucks an hour and I didn't really have any career goals or anything like that. I told her, I said, just stick with me and, and believe me, it's, you know, I don't know how long it's going to take, but you know, I, I have bigger dreams. I have bigger things that I want in life. And she has, and she supported me. And I, like I said, even though I haven't quite reached it yet, I, I, she continues to support me, continues to push me. This podcast wouldn't have been started without her because she was literally the one that said to me as I was like, you know, oh, how do I start a podcast? Oh, you know, I got to have a format, all this sort of stuff. She would literally look at me and she said, just start, like, just do it. Like, get it over with, order the stuff that you need, start the podcast and, and figure it out as you go. And she was right. And it's been an incredible experience. And I have her to thank for it, like I said, so so moving on to the last couple of questions, uh, one of the last ones, there are at least probably, I would say a good 20 or 30 takeaways people can come back, come from this episode with if they were to sit down and, and take notes and, and really listen to this episode. But what I'd like you to do uh, is, is give people three key takeaways, three things that they could in, implement, you know, finish listening to this episode, walk away from their computer, their phone, whatever they're using to listen to it these three things that they could use in their life to start helping them get to where they want to be or overcome the vulnerabilities that they're facing. So what would those three key takeaways be? Number one, be crystal clear on what it is you want out of, out of this life and write it down. Number one. Number two, repeat that to yourself in the morning out loud without judgment, without worrying about how you look or how you sound to your spouse or 
your kids or whatever, but do it every morning in the first 30 minutes of the day before you look at your phone, before you listen to the radio, anything in that quiet time in the morning, write down, have your written goals in front of you and say them out loud and believe in your soul and every part of your body that this is what you want to do, what your what true north is for you. And the third thing is uh, do something about it. Yeah, <laughs> on a daily basis. Yeah, do something that's in alignment with the priorities of those goals. Everything else is noise. Everything. Oh, we always go to this football game on a Saturday, but that Saturday, the the guru or whoever is going to be in town, and it's a choice. Do I go to the football game with my 75 degrees, or do I go in a, sit in a room of 150 degrees with the guy who's coming in with a 200 degree? <laughs> Which do I do? Hmm. Yeah, the choice is clear. You're going to figure it out. But number one, it has to be crystal clear. Now I want to make money. Is I want to make $100,000. I want to make $100,000 by December 2020. Okay, if that's your goal. And then uh, you're going to say it out loud. And then you're going to do everything in your power. And the third one, what are the actions I need to take? And what are the things I need to change in order for me to achieve those goals? And every, not every year, New Year's resolution, at the end of every night, tail of the tape. What did I do today to, that was in alignment with the goals I stated in the morning? And if it wasn't in alignment, reset and adjust and move forward the next day without judgment. Wake up in the morning knowing exactly what you want. Say it out loud. What are the actions I'm going to take today? The, the important things I'm going to get done today that are in alignment with that goal. And if you find you can't stay aligned, chances are those goals aren't real. Chances are you don't believe in those goals. Chances are you need to reset those goals because there's no emotional currency attached to those goals if you're being distracted by things that are not in alignment with those goals that you stated. No, I, I literally just heard on a podcast episode last night. Uh, it was, I think it was some, uh, I believe it was a psychologist of some sort that was talking about a technique that she invented. And one of the points that got brought up during that episode, and I'm not sure if that's the right one, but anyways, it doesn't matter. The point was, is that she said uh, she had taught people to write, and I guess mainly women, because most men don't have lipstick, but she had taught some women to write you know, these values, or like you said, having that crystal clear vision of what you want and lipstick on their mirror. Or, you know, have it on like a, a cue card and it's like pinned to the wall in front of their mirror, by their mirror, so that when they get up in the morning and they're brushing their teeth, literally the first thing that you're doing as you're brushing your teeth is reading or repeating these these goals. And it, it, it got me thinking and now you're just making me think about doing it more. So, <laughs> so uh, again, great tips. Um, so the last thing isn't really a question as much as it's an opportunity for you to sort of promote anything that you're up to right now. I want to give everybody who comes on an opportunity to sort of, you know, tell people what they're up to, you know, share whatever social media they want to share, or anything they want to share, programs that they're introducing, website, whatever. So the floor is yours. Go ahead. Yeah, so I, I am a, a marketing director with World Financial Group, uh, WFG, and you can follow me on Instagram at, at World on um, on Instagram. I'm also on LinkedIn at Wayne Harris. 
I do public speaking. I love to public speak. I go out and do seminars on how money works because I see people are living at the level of their of their wallets. And some people have a positive relationship with money and some people have a not so positive relationship with money. But money is required in a capitalist society. And if not for yourself, for what you can do for the greater good of society. So if I can help you preserve your money, if you, if you have money and help you make money if you don't have money or change your beliefs as it relates to money and show you how you can help your family and keep a legacy of wealth and a legacy of debt should something happen to you i'm open to do that for any of the listeners or viewers here so grab me on, grab me on linkedin i'm also on facebook just look out for me. It's pretty straightforward. Wayne Harris, you'll see the glasses. If not these, one of my other pair. And uh, <laughs> add me and I'll tell me where you saw me and I'll, I'll add you. Awesome. Well, again, it's been a pleasure. This is, like I said, been uh, an eye-opening episode for me, at least. Um, you know, got me thinking about a lot of things. I'm coming away from this today. I feel an amped. So I guess, you know, my 70 degree thermostat is coming up against your 100 degree thermostat and it's definitely making me feel like uh, I want to raise it up a bit there. So thank you again for coming on. Thank you for sharing so openly. You know, even a lot of things you shared, I honestly didn't know um, about you. And, uh, you know, and, uh, and again, I'm, it's been a pleasure. And, and thank you again for, for coming on. Thank you for having this format and I appreciate you inviting me. Shout out to Chuck Sagan for having me uh, connect with you. Awesome. And say, hi, say hi to Lady Ashley for me. I will. Cheers. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Vulnerable Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave a review. It helps get the word out and means more than you know. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at vulnerable.podcast or on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching Vulnerable Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at the B-E-L-M-E-D-A, that's the B-E-A-L-M-E-I-D-A, or by searching my name on Facebook and LinkedIn. If you know anyone with a great story of going from struggle to success, please let me know as I would love to interview them for the show. I appreciate you taking the time to listen and see you next week.